is a podcast that seeks to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. I want to thank you for joining us today. Also would invite you to please subscribe and then give us a five-star rating and review on the platform of your choice. And in response, I will rotate your tires as thanks. Uh, Today, we're going to continue our series of uh, potential pitfalls for artists. And today, uh, we're going to talk about resources. What happens when, as an artist, we suddenly have an increase in resources? Now, look, as artists, we are perfectly willing to accept the reality that we will never be rich or famous. If you are then you won't last long. Uh, as the Only the onest of the 1% ever realized this in the creative world. But still, if we, uh, if we were under sodium pentothal and we had to tell the truth, most of us would admit that we would love for what we create to be observed, to be consumed, to be adored by a huge audience. Not only would we love to just make a living from our art, uh, we wouldn't also mind a three-book deal, a major exhibition at a museum, our play being performed on Broadway, winning a Tony, whatever. Uh, I've always loved this quote, that adversity does not determine who we are. It reveals who we are. In the same way, money does not change who we are. It actually reveals who we are to a greater degree. I want to refer to an article by Mark Seal in Vanity Fair back in 2017. And in it, he details what one could call a come-to-Jesus meeting between actor Johnny Depp, uh, two forensic accountants, a lawyer who works with celebrity clients, and his business manager of uh, six months. You might even call this an intervention in a way. They were there to talk about Depp's finances. And there seemed to be some issues with the spending or handling of his money with a firm called TMG. This uh, stands for The Management Group. They're actually very reputable Uh, company in in Hollywood, and the accountants there at the meeting were concerned that taxes had not been paid uh, and other payments had been made to people in and around his life without his knowledge. Now, this new team of his filed a scathing lawsuit uh, against TMG, and they were seeking $25 million in damages for negligence, for fraud, for unjust enrichment and breach of fiduciary duty, among other things. Well, 18 days later, TMG responded with a blistering 31-page cross-complaint, claiming that Johnny Depp was a spendthrift of epic proportions who 
despite his manager's constant warnings, refused to curb his, quote, selfish, reckless, and irresponsible lifestyle. Now, in the 17 years that TMG had managed Johnny Depp, the actor had made $650 million. Just try to process that number. $650 million. TMG claims that despite their advice to him, Johnny Depp continued to spend. By 2013, uh, his expenses had ballooned to $2 million a month. Now, the cross-complaint from TMG describes that Johnny Depp has 14 residences, including a chateau in France and a four-island chain in the Bahamas. There were also a 156-foot yacht and 12 Los Angeles storage facilities full of memorabilia, including 70 collectible guitars, plus major artwork from some recent modern artists, uh, among others. 40 full-time employees uh, cost him $300,000 a month, they claimed, although his lawyer says there were only 15 employees some of them consultants. Uh, there was round-the-clock security for himself, his two children, and various family members, which cost $150,000 a month. Uh, in addition to the $10 million su- uh, supporting friends and family, uh, he spent $30,000 a month on wine flown to him around the world, the lawsuit alleges. $5 million for a blowout memorial service for the late journalist Hunter S. Thompson, who was a personal friend of Johnny Depp, which included blasting his ashes, which I guess was his request, from a 153-foot custom-built cannon at Hunter Thompson's home in Aspen. TMG alleges that Johnny Depp's spending left too little cash to pay his taxes uh, despite their warnings. And so they had to get high-cost, high-interest loans using, I think, future residuals as collateral uh, for these loans. And uh, Johnny Depp never paid them back for these loans. Now, Johnny Depp is quoted as saying, this is him, quote, money doesn't change anybody. Money reveals them. I'm still exactly the guy that used to pump gas. I suppose he could not be truer. When I was first planning this episode, I was going to tell stories of uh, lottery winners who lost it all and lost it quickly. And we know the internet is actually filled with such stories, and they would they would actually break your heart if you read them. So I decided not to bring one of those to the table. But I did read about one gentleman who um, had committed felonies in the past, and he lived in Kentucky, and I think he spent $7 on lottery tickets on one occasion. And uh, including a, a lotto, I think, or a Powerball ticket, sorry, Powerball. And uh, he ended up winning eight figures. And uh, But um, it didn't change who he was because he, he definitely was a man with character flaws. And his drug use prior to the win only became much bigger. And his uh, get-rich-quick schemes, I guess forgetting that he was rich, uh, led him to buy some losing racehorses. He was trying to buy interest in a um, 
some kind of a, a tech company that did fiber optics, um, and of course, rampant drug use with his then wife. And uh, eventually, uh, the money ran out. Uh, he lost his home. He lost everything. He uh, he died penniless uh, with no life insurance for his daughter. Money doesn't change who we are. It just reveals and exacerbates who we are. Now, again, I'm not the Lord here, but there may be a reason so few of us are blessed by God this way with great wealth. It's not blessed by the lottery, but by God. I think it's because very few of us can handle it. Jesus said something, didn't he, about a rich man going through an eye of a needle, being easier than them getting into the kingdom of God. I think it's because money can be such a blinder and and we can fall in love with it so easily, which we know Paul's famous words, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't take it as an insult if great wealth doesn't come your way. It's not the Lord punishing you. It's actually him protecting you. So many people who were suddenly uh, given amassed wealth weren't prepared for it because they, they didn't even know how to handle 30 grand a year. So when you're given $30 million, again, unless we intentionally do something different, it's just going to uh, multiply exponentially the mistakes that we make financially. I would say just, you know, form good financial habits now, even if it's just dollars at a time, whether it's just saving or um, whether it's paying down our debts and not running up credit cards and and saying, just saying no, frankly, having the power to say no when we're not making very much. And then if something happens and everything takes off and suddenly, wow, we're getting lots of money rolling in, that we will remember those skills that we've applied uh, to our life. And we won't see it as, now this is what I've deserved. We'll see it as blessing and we'll be able to handle it the right way. Even if you never get rich, we can so glorify the Lord by being good stewards of what he has trusted to us. Remember, the Lord isn't punishing you. He is protecting you because he knows you better than you. So just be good with what he has and know that he will still bless you anyway, that my God will still provide for all your needs according to his riches in glory.
I want to thank Storyside Worship uh, for being our artist spotlight on this episode. Uh, Storyside Worship is from Storyside Church in Belleville, Ohio, and their song, Good Stories. Uh, you can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, and Google Play. And by the way, if you would like to submit something that you have recorded or even written that you would like for me to read on the air uh, to be featured on the Matcast, feel free to email me at matcastworld at gmail.com. Uh, matcastworld at gmail.com. I can't guarantee that everything submitted will make it to the air, but we'll certainly do our best. So I want to tell you about what I did yesterday. Um, I was, uh, I left the house about 7.45 in the morning and I was headed to a, uh, I was headed to a tire place to get two new tires on my car. I bought two about a month and a half ago and uh, we were finishing up the set there. Um, I was there for an hour. I read a book while they were doing it, and uh, when I finished, I decided to kind of keep the car theme going. I went to one of those self-serve car washes, and I, I went into a bay, and uh, I have like some uh, WeatherTech floor mats in my car, and because I live in an apartment, I don't have a, a hose accessible, and I needed to wash those off. They had just accumulated a lot of dirt, and uh, so I was rinsing all those off. And I decided, because there was a car wash on the way home that I use, uh, I vacuumed out my car and uh, then got myself a car wash. And, uh, and I went home. Isn't this fascinating? No. No. Not remotely. Um, so why do I tell you this? Well, because I didn't have paparazzi around or people nearby taking photos of me rinsing off the car mats or people tweeting about my movements or filming me as I was uh, vacuuming out the car or TMZ asking me ridiculous questions while I did so. And that's because I'm not famous and nobody cares. You know, a lot of people pretend that they want fame. And maybe it's not even pretend. They, they really think being famous is going to make them something. And we've had thousands of reality shows cast with that as a mindset. And Andy Warhol's prediction of everyone being famous for, world famous, I think is the way he said it, for 15 minutes is uh, coming true. And people say they want to be famous and they want to be a YouTube star or they want to, you know, they just, they want to, they want to be on The Bachelor or something like that. And they think it will catapult them into some sort of wonderful place. And for some it has, yep, without a doubt. But people don't realize the, uh, the double-edged sword of fame. I mean, I can't imagine going about the things I do every day, going to the grocery store or pumping gas or um, going to the library or something like that, or uh, getting takeout from someplace and having a camera crew and somebody with a boom mic suddenly five feet away from me. 
I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? You're just trying to go about your daily life. And suddenly, these people show up because they're getting paid to, to get you at an unscripted moment. I can't imagine living life that way. And you see how some respond to that. In fact, a lot of creative artists, it causes them to retreat almost into the proverbial cave. I'm thinking that's what I would do. Some people aren't cut out for that kind of stuff. In fact, uh, actor Tom Holland, he's the guy who most recently played Spider-Man and has done other roles too. He says, fame is a beast that you can't control or be prepared for. Fame is such a double-edged sword. And again, it doesn't change who we are. It really exacerbates who we are. And so if you tend to be very fiercely private, Fame will only exponentially multiply that and you can become so isolated. Or if you desperately want it now, when you get it, you will do anything to keep it. Fame is a very dangerous dance partner. Did you know people were trying to make Jesus famous when he was doing his ministry on earth? Obviously, the smartest guy ever. He knew this was coming. When he started doing things, when he started doing the miraculous, um, people were going to not give the right idea, and they were going to try to make him into something he was not meant to be. And fame does that a lot, too. Fame will cast us in a role that God didn't write for us. And we either decide because we want to keep it to live by that ridiculous script Or we fight it and potentially lose everything we had gained, but we remain true to who we are. But in John chapter 6, Jesus is dealing now with fame. How did Jesus react to it? I'm going to mention three things in chapter 6 that he did. Number one, Jesus stayed on mission. So here's verse 1 of chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him. He's got a lot of followers, like on Twitter and Instagram, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And of course, this leads into the feeding of the 5,000, which we know is actually more than that. And so Jesus stayed on mission. Rather than thinking about um, his own ego, he realized that he had come as a servant uh, to be a servant to all and to give his life as a ransom uh, for many. And he stayed right on mission, and he's, and he's thinking about just their needs. He's like, hey, we, we got to feed these people. And Philip was like, whoa, you got me on that one. That's above my pay grade. And we all know the, the young boy brings forth five loaves of bread and two fish, and then Jesus prays, and the Lord and God just multiplies it. Everyone's fed, and there's uh, stuff left over. Fame can change 
uh, our mission if we're not careful. And fame can become our mission. It should never be artist, please. I know, I know we, we, want, we want to be able to get our product out there to as many people as possible. But remember that it's the creativity that's the mission and the honoring of God that's the mission, not fame. Because it can turn you into something that's so different. Jesus stayed on mission. The second thing Jesus did when fame was coming his way is that he withdrew from the crowd to be near truth. So right after the story, verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, 15, verse 15 is enormous. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the verse for anyone who is dealing with fame. Because people will try to make you into something you aren't. They will try to say, no, no, this is who you are. You might as well just embrace it. In fact, you know, you've got yourself a little niche here. You can make a lot of money from this. And Jesus became aware that they intended to make him, they were going to try to make him king and lead, basically lead an invasion against Rome by force. How did he respond? Did he seize upon the moment? Did he do some fancy marketing to try to raise his platform to get more likes, to get more shares? No, he withdrew. He went offline. <laughs> he ignored his social media and he went to a mountain by himself. But it really wasn't by himself, was it? He went back to the ultimate truth teller, and that was his father. I think where famous people go wrong is that they develop an entourage as opposed to a group of truth tellers. Entourage members got to keep the thing going. They got to keep the cash flowing in because that's how they get paid. They're almost literally being paid to lie. And when the artist is starting to become this whole other thing, and when you stop being an artist and you start becoming a brand, I think that's when you go off the cliff. Because you have people around you who won't say the truth. And we need to have truth tellers in our life. We need to have people in our life with whom we can withdraw and by the way, not be the focus of attention. We need to have people in our life that we know what's going on in their lives. Our life isn't more important than theirs. We get away and if we're famous, we're not talking about us for a change. And we're talking to our, our dear friends and we're saying, how are you doing? 
please, let's not talk about me. How are you doing? And we give them the room, these people that we trust, who we've known, who have proven themselves to be people of God. Is there any area where I'm really messing things up? Please tell me. Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself to be with the Father, to be reminded of who he was, what his mission was. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get into politics. Do your mission, Jesus. Do your mission. You're dying for humanity. The last thing Jesus did was he said hard things to thin the crowds. Oh, my word. A PR firm would just not enjoy working with the Lord. In verse 53, this is later, he gives a very hard teaching to all these people. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples, 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 not hangers on, not people on the back row, disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So here's the thing. And again, I think it's why the Lord doesn't give many of us fame because we just wouldn't know how to handle it. And he loves us too much to subject us to that kind of warfare. And so I think Jesus does the opposite. Rather than catering to the audience, rather than doing whatever it takes to become an influencer, whatever that is, he purposely says truthful things, but hard things. And then people start deleting him and unfollowing. And that was just fine with him. He wasn't looking for his numbers to grow. He wanted to know who was really going to be in this. And if we get to that point, and if we want to stay true to the Lord, it will require us to say hard things. It might even, we might be called upon to get canceled by the culture to say biblical things and just say, nah, sorry, I, I can't, I can't go there because it's, uh, it's not the Lord's will. It's, not, it's against his word. He has, he has a higher and better plan for us to be abundant in life. And this isn't it. Sorry. And oh yeah, boy, will you lose fans in a hurry. But what are we going to do? We can't serve two masters, can we? It's going to be God or it's going to be money. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. You're going to love the one or hate the other. Can't serve God and money. So will we just be politically correct? Will we just keep up the woke thing so that nobody leaves our following and we can keep making big bucks? Will we offend people or will we offend the Lord? Because sometimes that's the choice we have. And when we're put there, it's the choice we need to make. We appreciate you being a part of the MattCast. Please share this with a friend. We would love to expand our MattCast family. 
If you have any questions or comments, you can email me now. Yes, that's right, at mattcastworld. That's one word, mattcastworld at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and our resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.